0: Well, for the past few weeks, uh, we've been taking some time as a church family to pray and ask God uh, if he would, in this time in our country, if he would, um, if his will would be accomplished. We've been inviting him uh, to, uh, as the Bible instructs us to, um, we're instructed to pray for our leaders and for those who God has placed in the positions of authority over us. So as we approach this election season, and there are a lot of things on everyone's mind, we want to take time each week to just say, okay, God, we entrust these things to you, and together we're going to pray for our leaders, for the candidates, for everything that's involved. And we've been having different um, elders come and lead us in prayer. So I want to invite you now to just kind of humble your hearts and take a few moments and join in prayer as we pray together for our country. Jeremy Freeland is one of our elders, and he's going to lead us today.
1: Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God, this week... We pray for those that are currently serving our great country. We pray for the president and the vice president. Their hearts will be guided by you and that their decisions would be wise and principled. Jesus, we pray for the representatives and senators who serve in the United States Congress, that they would govern with God, honoring discernment. We pray for those who serve us as police officers and prosecutors and defenders and judges and justices of the United States Supreme Court, that they'd be faithful and vigilant in their service and wise in their judgment. We pray also for the soldiers and sailors and marines, the airmen and women, the guardsmen and women serving in our armed forces. We thank you for their service, and we ask that you bless them with the strength and protection. For all of those who serve our country, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for their willingness to preserve the God-given freedom and rights that you've given us. Encourage them all, God, strengthen them all, and draw them to yourself even today. May their work flow out of a a rich relationship with you. Thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank
2: you, Jeremy. If you guys would pull in and reach in your program guide and pull out your outline, get ready to take some notes. We're going to spend the majority of the morning in John chapter 14. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to John chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible with you, the verses are provided for you in your outline. And uh, today we're doing the second part of our series, Forgotten God. And uh, the question that I have at the beginning of your outline is a question that kind of arrives out of the text of John chapter 14 because the disciples are finding themselves in crisis mode. And so the whole background is they're finding themselves in the midst of a crisis. And what do you do when, you're do- when that happens in your life? The question I put there is, what do you do when you're faced with a crisis It calls for your faith to operate at a whole new level what happens when you've been relating to father god in a good way and you've accepted him as the creator of everything and the lord of your life and you've accepted jesus christ to atone for your sins and you've had some relationship with him but your faith needs to go to a whole new level because you're facing some crisis in your life where you need the power of the holy spirit to come reside within you. You don't need God's leadership just from the outside. You don't need God just to atone for past sins. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life today, or your faith's gonna go backwards, stagnate, or you may even recant your faith because of the crisis that you're going through in your life. And perhaps, really, I should uh, first just define crisis. You know, what's a crisis? Is crisis getting up in the morning and, and pouring a bowl of cereal and not having any milk in the fridge? Is that really a crisis? Is it a crisis that just about every Thursday all our copiers break down in the office upstairs? Is that really a crisis? Or do we kind of know that's going to happen by Thursday or Friday? You know, is the a crisis that we didn't charge our iPhone the night before so the next day we can't surf the internet on our phone at work when we should be getting our work done? Is that really a crisis? Or is that really uh, something that just has happened to us? And so crisis uh, is a word that in in the Greek, in the original, in the New Testament was originally written in Greek. The word for crisis literally meant years and years ago in the Greek, a turning point in a disease. It meant a turning point in a disease. And it's kind of like this. It's the point where doctors look at a patient and say, yeah, you're going to make it or there's the uh, possibility you're not. Or yes, things seem to be going well, but we need to try this therapy to take you to the next level. And so crisis was originally used as a medical term and then became a term that was used more widely just to mean a crossroads when a decision needed to be made. And when you face a crisis, when you face a decision that needs to be made, a huge decision that would change the trajectory of your life. So it still pertains... To a turning point, Uh, the Germans have an interesting word for crisis that can be translated like this. It could translate it as a phrase. It means, shut the door, panic. (laughs) Shut the door, panic. And the word actually, it, it connotes this, that they feel like the door is shutting and they're on the wrong side of that gate or the wrong side of that door. Have you ever felt that? You ever felt panic or crisis in your life where the door is closing and I'm on the wrong side of this deal. What do I do now? It's that kind of crisis in our life that precipitates an interior crisis. The crises on the outside precipitate or cause a crisis of faith on our inside. And a crisis of faith is when we're asking, where is God? How do I relate to God now? I'm having a hard time hearing his voice or following his pathway or or knowing what to do in this crisis. What do I do now? I'm being bombarded and hit. For many different sides. The early disciples encountered this crisis of faith. One of the most dire moments was when Jesus was prepping them for him to go to the cross and then ascend back into heaven and leave this earth. He wasn't just hinting, he was being outright honest about his departure with them. He was using words like this, and when he did, it sent their faith into a tailspin. He would say, my dear children, I'll only be with you for a little while longer. He said, where I'm going, you can't follow now, but you're going to follow later on. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And after saying all these things to them, he even said this, because I have said these things, your hearts, I can see, are filled with grief. And so when Jesus was letting him know that there was going to be a transition in their faith life, it sent them into an internal tailspin in their faith because they were going to have to know and get to know God At a whole new level through the third person of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit. They were in crisis mode and he knew it. So he said to them, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. And then he goes on in the text to say, Trust the Holy Spirit. Entrust yourself to the Spirit of God. And maybe you are at that place in your spiritual life where you've trusted the Father, you've trusted the Son. But you've never really released the inner part of your soul to the Holy Spirit. You've kind of kept that at a distance. You know, the great creator God is wonderful. Jesus and the atoning power of the cross is super. But the Holy Spirit is not alive in your life because you keep him at arm's length. Or at least you're not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit who is fully alive within you because you received him when you were born again of the Spirit of God. But you're not fully surrendered to him right now. This is something that in the Christian Missionary Alliance for years has been termed the crisis of the deeper life, that there needs to be a deeper life, a fuller surrender to God, and that the crises on the outside precipitate a crisis of the deeper life on the inside. Our statement of faith puts it this way, it's the will of God that every believer should be filled with the Holy Spirit and sanctified holy, being separated from sin in the world And fully dedicated to the will of God, thereby receiving power for holy living and effective service. This is both a crisis and a progressive experience wrought or worked out in the life of the believer subsequent to their conversion. So there's a time, there's a second work of grace in our life where we surrender to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit at a deeper level. Because we have to, because our faith needs to go to another level in order for us to face the things that we're facing, the crises in our life. I've asked myself this question. Why is it that some people come out of a crisis and it seems like their faith is stronger, more resolute? They seem to have more intimacy with Jesus. Their words and their affect and their person seems to kind of just let Jesus spill out all over While others stagnate, and some weaken, and some people even recant their faith and turn away from God, I think it's because they faced a crisis of the deeper life, and how we respond makes all the difference in our life. And they've gotten to know the work of the Holy Spirit in their life and surrendered to Him, and that makes all the difference. The issue centers on this ability not only to trust the Father and the Son, But to get to go know and trust and surrender to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So let's just jump into the rest of our outline here. How do we develop this trust in the midst of crisis? It doesn't seem like crisis is a time to really develop trust, does it? But if you think about it, you've been developing trust with God, the Father, and the Son. And now it's time to open up the door of your, your inner world to the Holy Spirit. So crisis moments are an opportunity to open the door of my soul to the Holy Spirit to open up the door of my soul to the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, If you love me, you'll obey what I command. He kept saying that over and over and over again in John 14, 15, and 16. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor who will be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, who is Jesus, or what is Jesus referring to when he says, you know him, he's been with you, and he will be in you? He's referring to himself. I have been with you. I have been leading you. I have been guiding you. I have been helping you and empowering you to perform miracles and to become part of the kingdom of God, a member of the kingdom of God, to transfer your membership out of this world and into the kingdom of God in this world. And he says, fear not, because I'm just not going to be leading you from the outside anymore. When I leave, I'm going to send the spirit of truth who's going to bring me alive inside of you. And so I will lead you from your interior and not just your exterior. He's referring to himself. And he says that the Holy Spirit comes to bring the presence of God. They were used to following Jesus and have him lead them from the outside, so to speak. Now they'd have to open up another door of their life to God, a doorway that leads to their very soul, the deepest part of their being that lasts for eternity. You know, it's one thing to let God lead us from the outside, to lead us externally. Sometimes when we say this, and and God does lead us in both ways. It's not like God only leads internally or only leads externally. He does it both ways, doesn't he? Externally, sometimes we notice God's leadership because we say things like this, hey, I was taking a certain pathway in life and then this roadblock came up and God threw this barrier down and this happened and and then God kind of just you know, pushed me over this direction and got me walking on this road and opened up my eyes, right? And that's good leadership by God. And we, we should not you know, be someone who who thinks that that takes that for granted, but notices God's leadership from the outside, notices that he cares for us and he does do that. The problem is that as we grow in God, if we don't start to let the Holy Spirit lead our interior, we can begin to resent that type of leadership by God. We can begin to say, you know, God just kind of pushes me around. God just kind of puppets me. God makes bad things happen here and good things happen there. He kind of just pushes me around and prods me around. He kind of pushes me through this maze of life. And that's because we're not growing up in our faith to the point where God leads on the inside too. And God does a combination of outside leadership and inside leadership. Inside leadership looks like this. Inside leadership is where we hear the voice of the Spirit on the inside. We ask Him questions. We've been reading the Word, and His voice always aligns. The Spirit, the voice of the Spirit always aligns with the written Word and always aligns with the living Word, Jesus Christ. And the living Word, what we know of the living Word, is written down in the written Word. So there is congruency with those. So we can know it's the voice of the Spirit of God leading us from the inside. But when we take the time to groom our soul and grow our soul and do something called soul care, which gets us closer to God, then God can begin to lead us from the inside. This is developing new patterns where we don't just have a devotional time once a day. We have times of checking in with God throughout the day. Like we've talked to you about the daily office where you're checking in with God one, two, three times a day so that you're remembering his presence throughout the whole day. Okay? He's with you all the time, 24-7. So you're grooming your soul to know that. It's about developing new patterns of silence and solitude, maybe once a week on the Sabbath, taking some time to stop and look back at what God spoke to you the week before and, and what he's pushing towards. It's about taking time maybe monthly or yearly or every few months to steal away with God for a half a day or a whole way. It's about developing times where you limit, you fast. You take away the desire to eat because the desire to hear God's word and to hear his voice is greater. And so you limit one desire to feed another desire to hear God's word. That's what fasting is all about. Fasting food or media or time with other people to be alone and quiet, to hear God's voice. And when we do that, we begin to grow up. And God not only leads us on the exterior, he starts to lead on the interior. And there's congruency and we know it's the voice of God. And the Holy Spirit's residing within and pushing us forward. I've been working on a little plan for my interior. I have to do it for one of my classes, so I had to get it done. And then I had to pick a mentor to help me with it to meet with me weekly. So I've been meeting with Ted, and Ted's here this morning, so he can tell you the truth about this afterwards if you'd like to interview him. Ted's a friend of mine, he's a retired minister, but he really hasn't retired from being a pastor. Uh, he pastors the soul of many pastors around, and, and I've been meeting with him for a couple of years, and we meet for breakfast now weekly. Uh, he gets his baked oatmeal, usually, for breakfast, and I get my couple eggs and toast or whatever. Sometimes I have the baked oatmeal. It's really good stuff. But Ted and I have some good interchange of the soul. And this last week, he pulled out my plan, and he had it with him, and he unfolded it, and he laid it there, and he said, and he said to me, um, now, now, what are we going to do with this? What are you going to do with this thing? And I said, well, you know, I just started kind of hem-hauling around about it. It was early in the morning. I didn't have enough coffee in my veins to give him a good answer. And uh, so he said, you're not, something like this, you're not starting to worship this thing, are you? You're not going to become a legalist about these things, are you? He said, I said, no, I want to do them so my soul is freed up to hear God's voice. And then we, we embarked on a conversation for about the next 45 minutes to look at these spiritual disciplines as a pathway of deepening and enriching relationship with God so I could move from not just knowing the Father and not just knowing Jesus as the atoner, but Jesus as the one who dwells within and leads me from within through the power of the Holy Spirit so I could open myself up to the Spirit of God. I'm glad I have somebody like that. You know, maybe you need to ask somebody in your small group and maybe you just need to jot down a little plan. Don't worship it. Don't become legalistic about it. But find someone who you can meet with so you can go deeper with God by spending more time with Him in quietness and stillness, soaking in His Word, soaking in worship, soaking in who He is, and walking with Him. You know, because I'm a visual person, as I've been talking about this door to our soul, I had to come up with a visual for it. I I know some of you— you're like, well, I'm not a visual person. It doesn't matter. To me, I'm a visual person. So I got on the internet, and I thought, this, this probably looks like the door of my soul. I looked through a bunch of thousand doors on the internet or so, and I'm clicking, clicking, clicking. I said, there it is. That reminds me of a doorway to the soul. Why, why is that? Because it looks like a craftsman made it. Look at the stonework around it and how it's chiseled away and mortared together and made perfectly into the arch and how the door is made out of wood and the ironwork that's on it and, and the handle and the hasp that's there to, to get in and the lock set that's on it and, and how ancient it looks. It looks like it was made like from, by a craftsman from years and years and years ago. And it looks like it guards a place. To me, behind that door, when you open it up, there's some sort of garden that it gardens where you can go in and sit down, and things are growing, and there's life going on in there. You know, it's guarding something of great importance, and it's made by a craftsman. And that's a picture I have of our soul. Our soul is a place where there's growth, there's seeds being planted by God maybe years and years ago when he made us fearfully and wonderfully there, that are waiting to grow. And God tells us, above all things, guard your heart, for it's a wellspring. So he guards it, and he places this door there in my mind's eye for us to open to him and to open to others who will come in and nurture our soul, but keep closed to other things that would only wreak havoc on the garden that is there. And so in my mind's eye, there's this doorway to my soul, and I have the ability to open it to God or to keep it closed. And in times of crisis... God is telling me, open the door, let me in. Let me come in and sit down with you and teach you and lead you and guide you. Not long ago, a young lady in our congregation named Mary went through a series of crises that precipitated a crisis of faith in her life where she had the choice of whether she would open the door or keep it nailed shut. Let's watch the video this morning as Mary shares with us what happened to her in her crisis of faith.
3: There's a popular commercial on TV right now that says life comes at you fast. For me, it took three days. May 11, 2012 was an atypical Friday for me. It was a welcome day off. I work with high school seniors, so you can imagine how May can be a little stressful. I was off for two reasons. First, I was to be in a wedding the next day and all the girls were getting their nails done. And second, I had finally made it to the endocrinologist. I had some problems with my thyroid. For some time now, it had been growing. I was having trouble swallowing, breathing. He had taken one look at me and said, you're having an ultrasound. I went in the next day, laid down on the table, and I was fairly confident in the fact that I knew what I was looking at, so I asked her to turn the screen so I could take a peek. She started on the right side. She took a few measurements. Nothing out of the ordinary, I saw two nodules. And then she moved over to the left side. At first she just passed by it. And then she slowly made her way back. And there it was. Smack dab in the middle of the screen. A big, white, fuzzy spot. What looked to me to be a tumor. Looking for a distraction, I met up with some friends. I explained what I had just seen and asked for prayers. I went to go pick up my godchildren. Another good distraction. Around 8 p.m., I was driving them home, and I get a call from my brother's cell. Hey, Matt, I say. It was not my brother on the other end of that line. It was my mother. Voice cracking and kinda quiet. She says, Mayor? Mom? (laughs) She says, something happened. I wait for it. I think Daddy's dead. For a moment, I can't say anything. I look in my rearview mirror. I see my two godchildren, my three young children. Needless to say, I couldn't talk very loud or very long. What do you mean you think? She reminds me that that morning he went in for a routine hernia surgery. He was discharged, and within an hour, he collapsed. She had called the rescue, but she said they were working on him for 25 minutes. I knew in my head that even if they got his heart restarted, he was already gone. He had been, His brain had been without oxygen. The next few hours are nothing more than a blur of phone calls and updates, and more crying and pacing than I had ever done in my life. Until 9.45, one last call from my brother's cell, only this time it was my brother on the other end, telling me what I already knew in my heart. He was gone. The next day, we packed up the van and made the six-hour trip to Rhode Island. I knew I didn't have very long before I had to tell the kids the truth about why we were really going. So I pulled over and and I explained it. It turns out that'd be the third hardest thing I did that week. The second would be reading from Ecclesiastes 3 at my dad's funeral. And the hardest thing I would do that day is to tell my mom on Thursday that on Monday, three days after my dad died, the endocrinologist had called to tell me it was definitely cancer. I returned to Pennsylvania on May 21st. From there, things started happening quickly. There were doctor's appointments, blood work, consults. Between that and work, I didn't have much time to process either event that had just happened. When things first happened, it was odd. I was finding it very easy to see the little blessings in everything. I could hear God's voice coming through the people that He put in my life. I could see Him restoring relationships through the tragedy. Just a few short weeks later, I felt further away from God than I ever had. The best way I could describe the way I felt is like a puzzle, once whole and put together, now scattered and broken. Piece by piece, I felt parts of me were gone, leaving nothing but gaping holes in me and my life. After praying about it and seeking advice from some of my closest friends, I decided to make an appointment at Wellspring. While I was there, I really felt like I could he- feel God's presence again. He showed me a picture. It was that puzzle. Only this time, it was I saw him taking away the pieces and putting down new ones, making the picture new, better, what he intended it to be. A small glimpse into his bigger picture for me. I started this story with the slogan, life comes at you fast. I told you that I thought for me it took three days. The truth is, life doesn't come at you fast, life just comes at you and it always is. Turns out I could have started this story in many places in my life. Last year when I was 27 years old and I had to have a hysterectomy and my husband and I had to come to terms with having, not having any more biological children or Three years ago, when we took a leap of faith and packed up a U-Haul and moved 400 miles away from almost everything and everyone we knew. Or I could have started this story nine years ago when losing a part-time job turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me. It introduced me to a family that I started working for, who quickly became my family, who then introduced me to my church, Daybreak, that changed my life forever. Sometimes life comes at you easy, and sometimes life comes at you hard, but life never comes through you until it comes through Him first. I'm happy to report to you today that after a radiation treatment and a whole body scan, I'm in remission. And though I'm physically healed, emotionally, I still have a long road. I think emotionally, the toughest battle for me to face is fear. Fear the cancer will come back. Fear of whether or not God can really change my circumstance. Fear for never feeling whole again, or fear that I had no business coming up and talking to you today, because my situation is not resolved. It almost felt hypocritical to come up here and speak, but then I'm reminded that I'm exactly where God wants me to be. I am his vessel today, and there is someone out there that needs to hear this. I have to give up my fears for his grace and faith. I have to constantly be reminded that my faith needs to be bigger than my fear. But I will keep the faith that God is still working on his masterpiece. I told you earlier that I had to read from Ecclesiastes 3 at my dad's funeral. I was recently reminded by a fellow daybreaker and close friend what the end of Ecclesiastes 3 says. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden that God has laid on his people. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has also laid eternity on their hearts. Yet, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end.
2: Mary's story reminds us that we not only need to open the door to the Holy Spirit, but we need to let him set up residence within us. You know, she talked about going to the Wellspring Center, which is a place, a ministry in our church. It's a small cottage on the other side of town where you can sit. And with a listener, just help tune into the voice of God in your life. And it teaches you how to be able to do that on your own. You know, the first couple times, maybe you need to have someone else help you listen. They don't hear things for you. They just help you tune into God's voice for yourself and hear and be led by the Holy Spirit on your own. I thought it was interesting that Mary had tattooed on her foot. And I wonder how, if I would have the audacity to have tattooed on my hand or my body, I will walk by faith. I will live by faith, a constant reminder that in the crisis of life that I need to turn to God. But I'm glad that she was willing to share her story and to push us on to this next point, which is crisis moments are an opportunity to give him permission to set up residence within. Jesus said, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another counselor, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And then he said these words, all of this I have spoken while I'm still with you. But the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. And so he says, the Holy Spirit isn't here just to drop by for a visit once in a while. He's not here just to consult in the midst of the crisis. He's to be with you forever. He is your guide for life that I'm sending to set up residence inside of you. Jesus also told him that the primary work of the Spirit is to reinforce not only the teachings but the person of Jesus within us. That the Holy Spirit will never speak on his own. He'll only point us back to Jesus and to the cross and the teachings that Jesus gave while he walked this earth. And so there's two vital facts that we always need to remember about the Holy Spirit. Number one, he's always with us. Number two, he always points us back to Jesus. That is his work, to be always with us and always pointing us to Jesus in the midst of anything that we're going through in life. In the small booklet that Fred Hartley wrote about being filled with the Holy Spirit, he wrote this about encountering God at a deeper level in our life. And I'm pretty sure that this little booklet, Holy Spirit Fill Me, is available to you in the Resource Center. I know I ordered some if they're out of them or order some more of them. Fred Hartley is a pastor at Lilburn Alliance Church, just outside of Atlanta in Georgia. And also uh, travels and is a speaker on uh, the deeper life with christ and with god and with prayer he wrote this the holy spirit is a person he is a divine person he is an indwelling divine person he is the indwelling divine person whose primary purpose is to make jesus known to us and in the midst of crisis who and what do we need to know most that's jesus christ And his coaching and his leadership in the midst of that crisis. John 14, 23 says this If anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. What's he saying? The Father, the Son, the Spirit will come if you open the door, and we will set up residence within you. We will dwell inside of you. I had to ask myself this question because I was in quite a crisis this week just writing this message. I wrote two other full messages. So that's kinda nice, I have them for later on. But it wasn't until Thursday when I decided, no, we need to go a whole nother direction with this. And if you know anything about Daybreak, we're one church at two locations. So somebody else is preaching this message at the other campus today. His name is Mike Henson, and Mike's a full-time school teacher at Milton Hershey School. So Mike's not in the office, I can't walk down the hall, bug him, take him to lunch. I need to be emailing him, meeting him at night at Panera Bread, you know, going over this stuff. So much to his surprise, on Thursday, I changed the whole deal. I changed the whole thing. So I I am in a crisis. Is Mike going to quit on me because I'm changing the whole thing? But we came to the conclusion that God was leading us. And even Friday morning as I drove into work, I said, Lord, what do you want to say? And he said, I want to say those two things. I said, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say about yourself? He said, I want those two things. I want you to make those two things apparent. Open the door to me, let me dwell within, and set up my residence within you. And so I believe that this is God's message for us today because it comes from Scripture, and the person of the Holy Spirit spoke to me, yes, yes, I agree with the written word. Tell them that about me. And so I was in quite a crisis about that. But when we let God come and set up his home within us, He can help us and guide us. And I had to ask myself, do I treat God like he's just a visitor who I check in with once in a while, who I query with my questions, who when I'm in the midst of a crisis, you know, I embrace him and embrace his voice, but at other times I kind of go on my merry way, living life the way that I want? Or do I let God come to establish his home within? If you ask my family, they tell you that my favorite channel on TV is HGTV. I love to watch home and garden television because I like to watch shows like Property Brothers. Property Brothers, they find a home that's in need of a total makeover, and they transform it into the home of the couple's dream. They're able to, and I'm able to sit there and watch this whole process that takes months or maybe sometimes even years and 30 minutes or less. I can watch it go from, you know, a dump to, you know, a great place for people to live. It's all decked out with the right furniture and the right colors and the right features. And it works for them and their children and where they live and work at. It's just kind of super. It's fun to watch it, and it's painless for me. I'm not part of that process. However, I've lived in some homes that were in need of remodeling and repair. I was even able to do some of that work on my own. That was especially true of our last home that we lived at, and the problem was that I would get all gung ho about a new project. I remember when we took part of a wall out, we were replacing windows and doing all this stuff, and part of your home's covered with plastic. Your underwear drawer is dislocated somewhere. You can't find your shoes. The kids' backpacks aren't on the back porch anywhere. They have to be put somewhere else. Your car is now a mobile office and maybe even dressing room when this goes, comes a place. In your life you know and and so for about three weeks you can handle that but then all this dislocation all this disharmony all this repair all this renovation comes out that i I don't want to be part of this anymore but the problem is i'm halfway through the renovation so i need to keep plugging on the truth is i like to either keep the house the way it is or i like to have the house renovated in an instant wouldn't it be great if life worked that way If I could just keep the house the way it was or just have it renovated in an instant. But I don't enjoy the process of living through the renovation in my home. I want transformation without the process. But that's not possible with a physical home and it's not possible with my interior either. I have to live in the mess of God coming into that inner garden and weeding out the things that I have let come through the door that never should have been there. Those secret comfort sins those patterns in my life that do not facilitate or help the voice of the spirit to be heard or me to follow him. And I have to let him come in and be the renovator, the one who reworks the interior of my life. And I need to learn to embrace the renovation process and to live with the mess and to live with the dislocation in my life and to say, God, you're doing something good here. So I will endure what you're doing because You're working all things together for the good of me who loves you and is walking with you. C.S. Lewis put the process this way. When I invited Jesus into my life, I thought I was going to put up some wallpaper and hang a few pictures. But he started knocking out walls and adding on rooms. And I said, I was expecting a nice cottage. But he said, I'm making a palace in which to live. God has a renovation plan for each one of our soul. But we need to open our door to him. We need to trust Him. We've trusted the Father. We've trusted the Son to cover our sin. Now we need to trust the Holy Spirit to come in and transform us, to sanctify us, to take us into the deeper life with God so that in the midst of crisis, we see them as opportunities to make great changes. In a few weeks on Saturday, November 17th, we're offering you a time to engage in some interactive experiences focused on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. It's called the Pathway to Surrender. There, there are details about it in your worship guide and in the, the scoop. But if you've ever struggled with allowing the Holy Spirit not just to be your, your advocate or your guide, but to dwell within and be the leader of your life, then that's a morning made for you. The Pathway to Surrender to the Holy Spirit is marked by three things that we'll talk about that day a door that needs to be opened in your soul to the Spirit, a cross where some things need to be nailed to that you've been holding on to that God's already covered but he needs you to bring them to the cross and then a seat at God's table. So that day we'll we'll hear teaching about that but we'll have interactive exercises where you open the door, where you bring things to the cross and where we round out that morning with you coming into communion with God at a seat at the table of God with your name on it. It was crafted and designed by the master craftsman for you to be there. And you fit in it perfectly. And he wants you to be there. And so we invite you to come out that morning and let God to begin or continue the renovation process in your soul. You know, Mary was right when she quoted that nationwide commercial, life comes at you fast. What did she say later? Yeah, life just comes at you. Sometimes the floodwaters get high. It feels like a tsunami is coming in. Change is happening rapidly. It seemed like just yesterday. Everything was fine. And the next day, all of a sudden, everything is changing. The key is to see those moments not as unwelcome guests, but as opportunities to expand the soul. Opportunities to not only open the door for God to come in, but permission to have him set up residence and live there and renovate us from the inside out. There's an interesting passage in the book of Revelation about a door that I think is often misunderstood. Amongst many other things, in the book of Revelation, it tells the tale of seven churches that had a fervent desire to follow God and walk with Him. And that fervent desire is still still building within them. They do great things, they're the church. But each one of them has an indictment they have forgotten their first love. They, like us, are suffering from forgotten God syndrome. In each case, God's indictment of them is that they have forgotten their first love, to love God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. Their stories are a sobering reminder that when the crisis of life sweeps in, to let them be an alarm clock for our soul, to wake us up, and to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in our interior We often think about and recite Revelation 3.20 as an evangelistic verse to reach out to those who don't know God. It was actually written to the seven churches full of people who were already converted to God. They had trusted in the Father and the atonement of the Son, but they had forgotten about the Holy Spirit. And so God said to them and says, says to us even today, those I love I rebuke, And I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Open the door. Let him come in and see the difference that the power of the Holy Spirit makes as he brings Jesus alive not just on the outside, but on the inside of your soul. Let's talk to God together in prayer. Holy Spirit, we confess that for too long we have forgotten you. We have treated you at times like you're not even there, and we've missed out on developing our intimacy with Jesus because of that. We need your truth. We need your leadership. We need you to point us to Jesus and all that he taught 24-7. Spirit, we are barraged with voices from the inside and out, and we need your voice to come peeling through that brings Jesus alive in us. So today, we open the door of our souls to you, and we ask you not just to come for a visit from time to time but to set up your home in us. In Jesus' name, amen.
4: nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen Oh, the sweetest of loves Where my heart becomes free And my shame is under In your presence, Lord Holy Spirit, you are to be longed for to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence experience the glory Feel the atmosphere, your, goodness. your glory, your God, goodness. is what our hearts your long presence. for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord.
0: Father, thank you that your plan not only included A desire to guide us from the outside but Lord that your plan lent to guiding us from the inside and that you wanted us to not only be able to know your presence when we sit in a room with hundreds of others and worship you but you wanted us to be able to know your presence moment by moment day by day wherever we find ourselves by the Holy Spirit who indwells us and points us to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for having such a beautiful plan, not just to forgive us, but to lead us and guide us so that we learn to trust you and we learn to obey. We surrender to the leadership of your Holy Spirit today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this message was kind of timely for me because just getting back from Africa, um, when you're on a daybreak trip, we give a lot of time for our team together to worship and to pray and to hear God's voice. And we spend a lot of time individually praying and hearing God's voice. And translating that back to our culture is sometimes kind of challenging. To be able to say, I'm going to find the moments where I allow the the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to guide and to lead me. So this morning, as you think about your response, and on your response card that's in your program, at the bottom on the back, it says uh, gives you a place to record both prayer requests and personal reflections. So maybe today you have a prayer request that you're in the moment of crisis or just something going on, and you need your church family to pray for you and pray with you, and you can take a moment and write down that prayer request and We will be praying with you this week. And if you need someone to pray for you uh, today, in the next few moments, you can head out the doors and down the hallway to the left, and someone will be there to pray for you. But if you have a personal reflection and God spoke to you today, maybe he spoke to you clearly about opening up the door of your, your soul to the Holy Spirit, or maybe he spoke to you that you've just treated the Holy Spirit as kind of a guest that you welcome in from time to time but that you've not invited the Holy Spirit to set up residence in your heart. And today, you just want to say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Not just here, not just when I come to worship and I invite you as a guest into my heart, but you're welcome to set up residence here in my heart. And uh, open up that door to God's Spirit, His indwelling Spirit in your life. However God is leading you to respond today, why don't you take the next few moments, hear God's voice, respond to Him, and then you can join us in worship.